Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Good morning, and praise the Lord. That was a pretty snow, huh? Not a lot of blowing, not super cold. Uh, It was great. My sister Lisa... Uh, in one of our group texts over the last few days, she was concerned and, and said, "Just why don't we just agree that this storm will turn and stay away? Wasn't that you or was it Lori? Yeah, that was Lori? Yeah, yeah. I was pray, basically praying against the snow. And I just responded, there is no way I'm going to pray against the very snow I prayed for. And she responded, you pray to your God and I'll pray to mine. And we saw what happened, right? So and now we need to march her and her disciples off to the brook and kill them, I guess, according to the example of Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, right? Now we'll cut her some slack. Uh, but it's kind of funny. Somebody told me just a, a week or so ago, they had it on good authority. There was going to be not a flake of snow in January, but not to get comfortable because February was going to hammer us with snow. So it looks like we're just getting an early start on the snow hammer. Amen? <laughs> All right. Amen. I know there's some snow lovers out there, kindred spirits. Uh, and some of you are on to me, but I have to confess, I really didn't shovel the parking lot single-handedly. A little bit of uh, video manipulation there. Um, and... For those of there is, uh, I won't name any names, uh, Nicole, Irvin, but uh, I did send an email out yesterday, not just a text this morning about Casual Sunday. So check your email, especially when it's snowing. Make sure you're, you're checking social media, checking email, watch for text because we try to keep you updated on all that stuff. All right, let's get into this. I've got a few things to talk about this morning. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. We got a good crowd considering everything. Glad you're here, and I didn't want to... Uh, I prepared a super long message to make it worth your while. I didn't hear a single amen. Somebody say amen, and I just didn't hear. All right, amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> no, I really don't think it's super long. But let's go ahead and open. Let's start here. We're actually going gonna, gonna, to gonna do uh, something out of 2 Corinthians, which is right in line with our Through the Bible stuff. I want to start actually in Psalm 27, and we'll read this psalm together. Uh, it's a great one. Are you reading through it? Are you reading through the book of Psalms? Isn't it great? Yes, it is. The whole Word of God is great, but Psalms is uh, just a super, super book to spend time in this time of year. Let's just read this, not super long. Uh, Psalm 27, beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, of this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high up on a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. And this, these first six verses, that's praise and worship. 
and, it, and, it's a, and it's a positive confession there in verse 6. And then in verse 7, he begins a prayer. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn, do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall, re- he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Those last two verses are kind of a conclusion, having has spent time praising and acknowledging the goodness of God. Then he spends uh, 7 through 12 there with this prayer. And then the conclusion in 13 and 14. And I love verse 13 there where he says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And you could, you could stretch your brain a little bit and think, well, the land of the living ultimately is really heaven. But he's talking about here in this life. And we can say, and many have, I'm not going to get uptight about anything that happens here on this earth because I know I'll see his deliverance. I know I'll see his salvation in heaven. But David, who's very well aware of the afterlife, people say there's not a strong doctrine for the afterlife in the Old Testament, but there is. It's not emphasized front and center all the time like it is in the New Testament, but it is. There's a strong doctrine of the afterlife, and David certainly knew. But he said, I would have lost hope unless I'd known I'd seen that deliverance here in the land, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He expected it and saw it and didn't lose hope. And that's something we need to be aware of. It's, uh, it is true, ultimately, our hope is in heaven. But don't take, it's almost a defeatist attitude and certainly unscriptural to say, I expect nothing this side of the grave. God desires to give us things this side of the grave. When Jesus said, look, you're going to give up some things uh, if you follow me, you're gonna, it's going to cost you family members. It's going to cost you things. But whoever gives these things up, you're going to receive it a hundredfold in this life. It's a good thing to remember, right? So keep that in mind. Keep this, this prayer, this confession, and these conclusions in mind as we turn now to Second Corinthians chapter 10. We'll start in chapter 10, where I really want to get to is chapter 12, but I'm just going to, I want to uh, set the stage here with some of the things he's talking about first. And uh, what he does here is he's returning again to the theme of defending his apostolic authority. One of the things he's apparently been accused of is being very bold and confrontational in his letters but very meek, mild, and quiet when he's in their presence. And they're saying, oh, see, you talk a big talk when you're away, but when you come here, you're really not that way. So he's saying, listen, I am being bold in these letters, and it's my heart's desire that you take them to heart, that you make these changes, that you repent of the evil you're doing, so that when I come, I can be gentle. Because I promise you, if I don't see the change when I come visit you, I'm going to be just as bold and just as confrontational in your presence. And that's not the kind of meeting I want. And he writes in chapter 10, beginning in verse 3, 
For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. On one hand, he's teaching a powerful and a broad principle about spiritual warfare. And we know this. This is how we always read this passage. And it's true. It's applicable. But in context, the specific thing he's, he's talking about is he's saying that his argument and his defense of his apostleship comes from God itself. He's not going to argue with them on their terms. There are people who are still challenging his, challenging his apostolic authority. And so that's why the word argument is even in that list there. And he goes on to say, look, if, you belong, if you're going to insist that you belong to Christ, you need to take a step back and remember that I belong to Christ too. And it's the same Christ that put me in this position of authority, gave me this apostolic responsibility for you. My ministry to you, I'm doing because the Christ that you belong to has called me to do this. And then he, go, he clarifies, uh, goes on, as you can read this, he says, I'm not, we're not going to be, me and my ministry, we are not going to be like these guys out there who are comparing themselves to one another. It's funny, it's sad, but it's funny to me that that was even an issue back in Paul's day. Because certainly, uh, if you've been around uh, this, if you've been around Christianity long enough, uh, you have seen what certainly appear to be competing ministries. Uh, who do you follow? I follow brother so-and-so. Well, I used to follow brother so-and-so. Now I follow brother so-and-so. And they kind of jump from one big-name preacher to another. Uh, and Paul's like, no, we're not doing that. I'm not comparing myself to anybody else's ministry, even if they call themselves an apostle. I'm not going to say they're not an apostle. I'm just saying I am only comparing my ministry to what God has called me to do. If somebody wants to brag that they've spoken to more people, it doesn't matter to me. God called me to plant your church and exercise apostolic authority over you. That's the only thing I'm going to be measured by. I'm here to edify and to bless you. And he reminds them, in the middle of this, that the whole time I was with you, that year and a half I spent with you, I didn't take a dime from you. I served as a visiting missionary, and the Macedonians supported me the whole time because I didn't want to be a burden to you. And there have been, in Paul's absence, there have been other ministries, even apostolic ones, that tried to bring the Corinthian church under their own wing, under their authority, under their control. And Paul warns them that what they're really trying to do is bring them under bondage that the control they want to exercise over the Corinthians is not the loving control, uh, the loving authority of a father that, like Paul has for them. Look here now in, uh, I think it's 11. Yeah, beginning in verse 19. Still, 2 Corinthians eleven, nineteen. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are wise. For you put up with it, if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face, to our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. You see what he's saying? I mean, I'm going to read through the rest of this here in just a second. They say, you put up with this stuff. It's like you admire these ministries that come in and slap you on the face and treat you like dirt because this is how they manifest their boldness. And Paul's saying very sarcastically, I'm sorry we were never that bold in your presence. So we'll read on here. Are they Hebrews? This is, the imp this is a very important part here. 
It's not the good part, but uh, eh, where, where was I? Where was I? I was in 19, right? So 19 to 21. Yeah, I'll start in 22 here again. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequently. In deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches." Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. Highlight that word. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Now, he's just gotten done saying, you've got guys who have actually won some of you over. You've become loyal to these guys because they come in your presence and speak down to you. They slap you. They treat you like dogs and lift themselves up. And you're responding to this kind of authority. When I was in your midst, and you're accusing me now, of being too gentle when I was with you? Forgive me for not abusing you when I was in your presence. But here's what I'm basing my authority on. They come in and tell you they're bona fides. Oh, they're Hebrews? Guess what? I'm a Hebrew. Right? Are they Israelites? I'm an Israelite. I'm a, I'm a son of Abraham. Are they ministers of Christ? I'm a better one. And then goes on to give his bona fides, which is what? Let me tell you what I've been through for you guys. To demonstrate my love for you, which is the basis of my authority over you, I have been beaten within an inch of my life this many times. Stripes, that's whippings, that's beatings. Beaten with rods, beaten with whips, stoned. That wasn't just people throwing rocks at him. They were executing him. He was actually carried out of the city and left for dead. May, in fact, actually have died and been raised from the dead. Now, can you imagine if just one of these things happened to you? You would be a modern-day hero. You would have a speaking tour lined up for as long as you wanted, going from city to city, sharing about the one time They threw rocks at you, they beat you, they dragged you through the street, you got shipwrecked. Your adventure could be the basis or the launching pad for a ministry. And Paul's been through it again and again, and this is his lifestyle. He's saying, I'm not going to boast 
about what it's like when I'm with you sharing the word. I'm not going to boast about these things. I'm going to boast about what? My infirmity. What infirmity is he? Now, when we hear the word infirmity, often we think sickness. Is he talking about sickness here? Isn't it amazing that with all the things he lists in detail, sickness is not on that list? But he does refer to it as an infirmity. These things are the kind, let me just put it mildly, I speak as if a fool, as Paul would say. These are the kind of things that can kind of take it out of a guy. A beating can take the wind out of your sails. Do you believe me? Do you think Paul, the second after he was done with that beating, just said, ha, well, thank God I'm just energized in the spirit of the Lord. Or do you think it might have taken him a day or two to recover? Or a week. Or a month. He never lost hope. I don't believe he ever abandoned his confession. But these things uh, produced, you better believe, they produced periods of physical weakness, or, which is what the word infirm really means. Now, we move from that. Remember what we just read. Remember, this is all one letter. It's not like, okay, end of chapter 11, let's talk about something else. We move into the next section of this letter, chapter 12, verse 1. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up into the third heaven. And I know such a man, the third heaven, that, you know, the, they considered you know, the atmosphere to be one heaven, the sky and the stars to be another type of heaven. The third heaven is simply God's heaven, all right? And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees in me or hears from me. Now, there is almost universal agreement, and I am certainly in that, in the majority, that the person he's talking about is him. He's being, he's kind of saying this on the oblique, he's, he's trying to remain humble, he's trying, again, because he doesn't want this to be, he, he says, hey, let me tell you about the time I went to heaven, because suddenly, guess what? Just like today. Come hear the man who saw heaven. And this is going to be the basis of his ministry. It's all anybody's going to want to hear about. So he says, look, I know this guy. Happened 14 years ago. I can't tell you if it's a dream or if it's real. I mean, I know it happened. I just don't know if it was a vision, out of body, or did, my body, or did his, body, his body go there. But he saw things. And I ain't going to tell you what he saw because it wouldn't be lawful to utter them. He's talking about himself. He's had some experiences. He has seen some things. But he's saying, this is not what I'm going to base my ministry on. And then the very next thing, verse 7. And here's that troubling passage. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, out of context, if you had not read anything we read leading up to this passage, and here is the traditional interpretation of what we just read in verses uh, 7 to 10. I have all these great visions, and so to keep me from getting a big head, to keep me humble, God made me sick and refused to heal me even though I begged him two, three times. How many of you have heard something like that? I've heard it dozens of times. And that's and putting it very bluntly, but that's essentially what they're saying. Paul was at risk of getting into some serious pride because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations he'd experienced. God wanted to make sure he kept him humble, so he gave him this bad eye that leaked all over the place, or he was half blind in or something. It was a disfigurement. This was Paul's thorn in the flesh that God gave him to keep him humble. First of all, oh my goodness, I hardly know where to begin. First of all, from the text, where did the thorn come from? Satan. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. And so the first thing I'll start with is this. If the whole purpose of the thorn was to keep Paul humble, to keep from getting him into pride, why would the devil be behind that? Does the devil want you humble and out of pride? Or does he want you prideful? Second, where does it say the infirmity is sickness or disease? It doesn't. In context, it practically tells us that it wasn't sickness and disease. He tells you what his infirmity was. Well, then, if this was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him and it wasn't disease, then what was it? I was beaten with rods. I took stripes. I was in the deep. I was in hunger. I was asleep. This is the demon. This is the demonic attack. You know, I'm not kidding. I know when I say if one of these things happened to you, it could launch your ministry. I'm all for that. If something happens, if you're able to take an attack, a tragedy or something, and turn it into a ministry that blesses people, fantastic. I'm saying Paul didn't need these things to launch his ministry. Right? He was, he was with them in power and demonstration. He had an encounter with the risen Christ. These things were happening to squash his ministry, to make him too weak for ministry. This is an almost unbelievable level of persecution. We look at the promises that God makes and the promises Jesus makes, and we think, oh, wow, and he's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. And then when he says, in this world you shall have trouble, man, Paul received trouble abundantly, exceedingly beyond all he could ask or think. This was a supernatural level of persecution. That was his thorn. And to me, it is crystal clear. You see this as one letter. This is my infirmity. And I'll boast in it. Why? Because God has seen me through every bit of it. And my ministry continues to grow. My influence continues to grow. Well, if that's true then, if that's the case, then... uh, because of the abundance of the revelation, thorn, uh, to lest I be exalted above measure. So we know it was from the devil. We know it wasn't sickness. 
And by the way, that interpretation that it was sickness is a, in terms of Christian history, that's a very recent interpretation. It's not like for thousands of years or hundreds of years people thought that, and then the charismatic movement came along and reinterpreted it. The idea that it's sickness was not, has not been widely accepted, except by modern people trying to throw stones at the charismatic movement. I'll show you documentation for that sometime. Anyway, uh, so we say, we know it was from Satan, we know it wasn't sickness. Here's the other thing, when people say, well, you know, I prayed, I prayed three times and God said no. Where does it say that? Where does God say no? He said, I prayed three times and God said, uh, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. We'll come back to that in a second. But here's where I want to start when really looking at this. When he said, lest I be exalted above measure, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation that was given to me, lest I be exalted above measure, a thorn of the flesh was given to me. What does that mean? Well, because, again, it's so easy to see this as, well, I could sure get a big head if it wasn't for this thorn. But I want to remind you of something. Uh, in fact, let me look at, let's look at these two scriptures together. James chapter 4. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Some translations say, exalt you. In 1 Peter Chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Lest I be exalted above measure. So, all right, now we got these two promises here. Almost sta- stated almost identically. If you will humble yourself, God will exalt you. God is not in the humbling business. He's in the exalting business. He wants you exalted. Now, we just got through singing a song. We exalt you. We exalt you. We are exalting God. We are lifting him up. We are focusing on him. So when we talk about self-exaltation, we have to understand, number one, that we are not about exalting ourselves and that our exaltation is not in competition or in conflict with God's exaltation. When we understand God's heart for us, I was sharing this quote with somebody the other day, and now I can't remember who it was. George Stormont, who was actually a young pastor to Smith Wigglesworth. I actually heard this guy speak in his late 80s. He was a younger man than Smith Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth, you may remember, was a latecomer to Christ, so his pastor was, was younger than him. But he came to the church I attended in Alabama and shared some things with us. And he just made this one statement that stuck with me. This was during his introduction. And he talked about, uh, when he uh, talked about his wife. And he said, oh, I started to say I fell in love with her. And he had this great English accent, which I'm terrible at accents. And he says, why, why do people call it falling in love? It didn't feel like falling to me. I was elevated. I was elevated. Elevated. Lifted up. Exalted. Because God loves us, it's not his heart to keep us down. He elevates us. He exalts us to what? A place of usefulness. A place of right standing. A place of relationship, sonship, daughtership with the Father, with the creator of the universe. This is exaltation. And Paul saying, another word, if you, if you dig around in uh, word studies and stuff, that word exalted above measure is translated to go beyond the usual mark. 
to exceed the mark. Just as sin is missing the mark, to be exalted above measure is to exceed the mark. Let me ask you this. Did Paul's ministry exceed the mark? Was Paul exalted in his ministry? What's his legacy? He wrote a good chunk of the New Testament. A lot of our core doctrines as believers, and I'm talking about just us, I'm talking about Christians. Christianity is from the writings of Paul. Why? Because of the surpassing greatness of, his re, uh, of the revelation. My point is this. If God was behind the thorn in any way, and it was God's design to keep Paul from being exalted, God failed miserably. Outside of Jesus Christ himself, nobody did more to spread Christianity historically than the Apostle Paul. There may have been people since Paul who spoke in person to more people than Paul did, but what are they speaking? They're speaking the stuff that Paul wrote. That's the doctrine they're sharing. I would phrase it something like this. The devil knew that I had seen some things and was ready to do serious damage to his kingdom. So to keep me from fulfilling my ministry exceedingly and abundantly, he attacked me, and he attacked me again and again and again. It caused me to be weary, and I, I said, God, help me, rescue me. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Grace is not God saying no. This is a Tony Cook quote. Grace is not God saying no. Grace is God saying yes. Many times we have found ourselves begging God to do something. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. What do we say at this point? Thank you, God, for what you have done. Thank you for that grace. And at some point we stop speaking to God about our problem and we start speaking to our problem about our God. Because we get this revelation, his grace is sufficient. I'm not going to be stopped. I'm not going to stay sick. I'm not going to stay poor. I'm not going to stay broken in these relationships. I'm going to walk in wholeness, and I'm going to continue to plow through. I'm going to continue to sow during the season of tears, and I'm going to reap in joy. I'm not going to be dragged down by this. I'm not going to be taken out of the fight. I will be exalted. I will go beyond the mark. God is for you. Do you believe that? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If my infirmity is attacks from the devil... My strength is God himself. Who's going to win? Who has won? The victory's already taken place. It took place at the cross. We know this, but just so you have it on record from me, the great battle between good and evil is not two equal and opposite forces. Satan is not God's equal and opposite. Satan is a created being. He's a defeated being. God alone is God. He has crushed the enemy under our feet. But we have to continue to walk in that on purpose. 
Expect the victory, speak it, and you will walk in it. I love this in verse 4. This is back where we started in Psalm 27. One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I love how later on it says, when you said, seek my face, I said, Lord, your face I will seek. What is it we are after? This is tough because many of you have uh, probably heard or been confronted with this distinction. What are you seeking? Are you seeking God's face or are you seeking his hand? Can I just be bold enough to say God's offering both? God doesn't say seek my face with his hands behind his back. He says seek my face with his hands and his arms open wide. And we see as his hands are there that, oh, there's pleasure at his right hand forevermore. This is a good deal all around. He is not the supernatural manifestation of the people that Paul is criticizing. He's not, I am God and I have come to trample you. I have come to humble you. I'm, I love you. I love you so much, God says. God the Father says, I gave my son so that we could be in a relationship that allows me not to lord it over you and to have you crawling before me, but to be in a relationship that allows me and frees me to elevate you, to exalt you, to lift you up. Are you in that relationship with him today? This is a good place to be. But it starts with a decision. You say, wow, I wish I was there. I wish God would just reach out and save me like that. He's done it. He did the reaching out. He did the saving 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died on the cross. Our part is to recognize, oh, I guess I did need that. The goodness that I have in myself to bring and and lay before God is not goodness at all compared to the righteousness of of Jesus Christ. So God says, I'm going to take the righteousness of Jesus Christ and I'm going to clothe you with that. But you've got to lay your own will, your own self down. Say, I can't be in charge of me anymore. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, if you will say he is Lord, he is the Lord, he is my Lord, and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Have you made that decision? Have you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and believe that God has raised him from the dead? If you have, you're part of the family. And I think that includes most, I know that includes most of the people in here. But that's what makes us the body. It's what makes us effective when we pray for one another. If you've not made that decision, you're in danger. You're outside of this protection. You're outside of this covering. You're outside of the covenant and the promises. Not only that, you're outside of heaven for right now. David says, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Guess what? Your life doesn't end when this body dies. You were designed to live in the presence of God forever. But only those who are saved from what? Saved from sin, saved from hell. Only those who are saved are going to live in the presence of the Lord forever. Where does everybody else go? It really is a hell. What's it like? I don't know. Jesus used some pretty scary language to describe it, though. Well, is there a difference between hell and the lake of fire? I don't know. Does it matter? 
are either one of those dwelling in the in the glorify the uh, the glorious presence of God for eternity? No, I want to dwell in that paradise that Paul got a glimpse of, and I want you there too. If you've not made that decision, this is your day. How do you know this is my day? The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. So when we start, I'm going to pray closing prayer here. As soon as I'm done praying, they're going to start singing. As soon as they start singing, you want to give your heart to Jesus Christ, come up here and let me pray with you. I'll lead you in a simple prayer. We'll be done with it before the song is over, and you'll be part of the family, part of the kingdom, part of the body. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.